Hello, everybody, and we are so happy to have you with us this evening. And we've got an exciting uh, message. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a big one, and uh, I wouldn't try to consider that we're doing a full documentary on it because uh, it would just take a book, a book full of uh, things to say and to explain, and uh, and and maps and pictures and all of that to show you, but. We will be able to delve into it in an interesting way and sort of get excited because we'll certainly be talking about um, some adventure in a way that um, you do not hear it on the common stream of discussion. And I'm here to represent the Manifestor Yada. And so let's begin. Um, we're talking about the real Moses Exodus, the real Moses Exodus. Well, to do this, we have to go back in time a little bit. We really have to go back to an event that happened with Jacob and his, uh, his family of 12 sons. And of a time when they were out in a field and this favorite son, Joseph, came out wearing his his coat of many colors, obviously a sign of his being favored by his father. In that day, in that time, to make a coat of that nature was very expensive. The kind of dyes that they used um, was not just available, like going down to the grocery store or a hardware and getting it. And it was a costly thing. And so it wasn't just that there was a favorite son here, <clears throat> but it was that there was a son who had been chosen in a very special way. And Joseph dreamed, and it really got under the skin of his brothers, when he told him the dream, how that he saw a moon and a star, the moon and and um, and the sun, and stars bowing down to him. It was not difficult for them to get the parable that that would be the father, the mother, and the sons. Of course, they didn't realize just how deep and profound that dream was. How that, in fact, and indeed, it was a it was a, a symbol, it was a message, it was a sign of something far beyond just the simplest part of what was of what was a, a given. It was something about the Ophanim, it was something about the who man is, who are the mortals that you are so mindful of them, the scripture says. It was about that. It was about a story that is so vast so enlarged of content that his volume cannot be contained in one book. It was about a Savior, Christ Jesus. It was about the kingdom of God. But at the time, it just couldn't be understood. God had a plan. God had a plan. And it's so interesting how things can happen that can be so hurtful, especially when love is involved. And oh, 
oh, oh, how much that Jacob loved his son Joseph. And when his brethren came back and said that he had been eaten by some kind of wild beast, and they showed the bloodstains on his many-colored coat, how hard that was, how deep, how despairing, how like having something that was a dream and a plan, a something that was a deep inner knowing that couldn't even be put into words, suddenly be ripped away from your heart, from your soul, from your very being. And that's how it was with Jacob on that day. In the meanwhile, though, Joseph, having been cast into a pit, a changed decision came by some of the different brethren having different ideas about it. And there was a, a caravan that was coming by. And they said, look, let's, let's sell him to the caravan and he'll be taken to Egypt and he'll be gone and we don't have to kill him. And that is what happened. And you know the story if you've read the Bible. And he ends up, this Joseph fellow, in Egypt, and through a process that you should be familiar with of working for some particular people that had contact even with the Pharaoh, he, um, he ends up, um, by a fraud put on him, by a lady who just lied, who was actually married, but wanting his attention. And he was refusing to give his attention to that married person. And uh, she just lied and ended up putting him in jail. And he could have been sentenced to death. But God's mercy didn't allow it because there was a plan. There's a plan like when God said, let there be light and there was light. There's a, there was a plan like John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There was a plan. And in the course of time, by interpreting dreams, the Word got to the, the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh had a dream about a, a thing that he didn't understand, about these seven years of desperate times and then possibly seven good years. I don't know that he even interpreted it that much. But Joseph interpreted it and showed him that there was a tremendous seven years of, of really good times coming that they needed to save everything to prepare, prepare for the seven bad years that were going to come. And he was given the job, and, and in the end, he was made second in command to the Pharaoh. And you know what? That was a plan. It was a plan. It was a plan of God. Well, the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 1, in the <clears throat> 11th verse, it's talking about the people of Israel. And it says, Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens and they built for pharaoh they built for pharaoh treasure cities 
Python, and Ramesses. Now this scripture is beyond Joseph, but the the resume and the residue of his life is written in the sands of those Egyptian cities and and that whole story of his the plan of God for him is written there. And it's more than just a legend. It's more than just an imagination. It's more than just a whim. It's something that was dedicated by God. And when the new after Joseph passed on and a new Pharaoh came in that did not know the children of Israel. He was new. He was new of ideologies. He was new of of being a, a king. And he decided to not like the Hebrew people and to not like the history of Joseph who was a Hebrew having become a co-pharaoh himself. And his idea was to erase it from history and to change things and to make it difficult. So one of the things that he decided that he wanted to do was have these two treasure cities built. And guess where? Well, right there at the at the Nile, right close to the Nile, and right there in the very area in the country, part of Egypt that the people of of Israel who had had come there to live, because at by this time Jacob and his sons and others of the family had come and joined and were there with uh, with Joseph. And they lived and they died and their children were perpetuated to take their places. And those people began to suffer under this new ruler, this new pharaoh. And he set them as taskmasters and afflicted them with burdens and forced them to build these treasure cities, Python and Ramesses. Now this is very interesting. And I want you to really get this story about these two treasure places. Because I want to tell you a story about that that I've never heard anywhere else. I have never heard it preached somewhere else, never read it anywhere else. There's an interesting thing that the, the, the archaeologists have come up with. During the course of this time, Moses was involved, and he was like second in command to the Pharaoh. But he didn't like being called the son of the Pharaoh. He refused that, according to Paul in the book of Hebrews. He said, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. And there's quite the story about 
Moses. And we, we will talk about that before we get too involved here in the story about these treasure cities. Because it is just all so very, very interesting. Well, <clears throat> what can we tell you about these uh, treasure cities? Oh, well, and what can we tell you about Moses? Well, a lot of people don't know that, of course, Moses was a tremendously trained person. He was trained just like a pharaoh would be trained. So the pharaoh had all knowledge about the government, all knowledge about the military, was uh, totally prepared to, um, to step in and be in the military, totally prepared to, to understand everything about building projects, about the needs of the people. And uh, he was even taught some powers of magic. He was quite the guy. And the thing that is very, very interesting is that Moses knew that he was a Hebrew. And he knew who his family was. And he was in relationship with them. And that was not a very popular thing with the Pharaoh. But it was allowed because Moses was a pretty strong, determined personality. And his foster mother, who was the wife of the Pharaoh, was totally on his side. Well, Moses became a military general. And the Pharaoh decided that he wanted to expand the territory of Egypt. And he wanted to um, to go up the Nile into the Nubia territory, Nubian territory. And um, he wanted to uh, take over that area and be in control of it. Now, Egypt had what was called Lower Nile and an Upper Nile. And back in history, of course, and we'll talk about that, there was also a division of the Egyptian government. There was the Upper Egypt and the Lower Egypt, which sort of went along with the division of the Nile, the Lower Nile and the Upper Nile. Now, the lower Nile was north, and the upper Nile was south. And the Nile, of course, is one of the longest rivers in the world. And it's, it's different than a lot of other rivers, because it has these, um, these cataracts, they call them. There's six groups of them. And there's all of these rocks. And the rapids hit these rocks and create this extreme, extreme rapidity of the stream in those areas. And that's called a cataract. And there's six groups of those cataracts. Well, it's beyond the last cataract. In fact, 
when you get into the fourth and fifth cataract, the river is just making a great turn. And just when you get around that turn, begin to straighten out and get up there to the sixth cataract, you're in Nubian territory. And it's interesting. You might be more familiar with the term Ethiopians. It was where the Ethiopians lived. And so Moses took a great force of, of soldiers. Now what a lot of people don't know is that at least a quarter of a million of those soldiers, that would be 250,000 of those soldiers, were Jewish soldiers. Because at the time that Joseph had been in as second command with the Pharaoh, there was a very uh, much knitting that happened between the people of Israel, the Hebrews, and the Egyptians. And they were in a high-favored place, being uh, relatives of this very popular uh, Pharaoh, uh, uh, assistant Pharaoh, Joseph, who basically had made his nation to become rich because all this corn that he saved and other grains, he sold not only to the Egyptians that were local, but he sold <clears throat> to other nations. Now, after about two years, and this is something all you people that are interested in survival should think about. After about two years, people who had put away things for a tough time, they began to run out, you know, run out because, you know, two years, well, they should be through any famine or through any survival time. They didn't have the revelation. They didn't have the vision. They didn't have the plan. They didn't realize that this famine was going to, going to go on for seven years, five more years. And even the local, the local, Egyptians who knew the plan and knew about the seven years, by the end of two years, the way that they had stored their food, by the end of two years, it was not edible. It was run. So they began to need to buy food from the store cities. Well, before long, Almost all of the money of the people belonged to the Pharaoh. And huge amounts of money began to come in from other nations. And Egypt just began to become one of the greatest, richest nations. They were receiving gold payments. There were people actually taking their gods that were made out of gold and turning them in because what good would a god do if you're going to starve to death? And your whole family's going to die. And some of those chunks of gold that had been made into idols were stuck into the treasure city of Ramses. But let's go on. Because it's so very interesting, this whole story. And exciting. So this was going on for another five years. Well, 
Joseph knew that sooner or later his family would, would come. So what he did, and this is what the book of, of Jasher says, and I have that book, and it's a book that not very many people have. It's an old, old book. It's mentioned in the Bible as one of the books. And it says that um, that Joseph knew that his family would come, so he gave instructions to his um, lieutenant uh, lieutenants and helpers, and he says, I want a list made of all of the people that come here to buy, and then I want a copy of that list given to me. And he looked over every name of all the people that were coming from all over, because he wanted to make sure that his family didn't come and buy corn and leave, and then he didn't even know about it. So there was a plan. God had a plan. And God gave wisdom to Joseph. And so Joseph, of course, the story goes on that he had the opportunity then to meet his brethren again, and they were shocked when they saw that that the brother that they thought might be dead or who know who would know what happened to him had become now the second in command to the Pharaoh and was ahead of all of this food thing. Anyway, the story, he invites his brother and tells him, bring, bring the father, and they all come. They're all there. But something that is important, the way that, that Joseph had this these treasure cities built was extremely unique and powerful. They were made like silos so that you would load the grain from the top. Now, there were certain sections that you could get to it to put other types of things, like there was um, ammunition and there was, um, you know, weaponry. And there was other kinds of things that went along with warfare. And there was a separation for that from the food. And the walls were made out of brick. And they were 10 feet. The walls were 10 feet and it was very deep. So, deep. so there was no kind of critter like mice and other kind of varmints that could get in there and contaminate the, the, the food because of the way that it was made and the way that it was poured into it. Of course, a lot of people don't know just how much wisdom that Joseph was given. Joseph was also given a concept how to extend the Nile and to make tributaries out from it like water canals so that he could extend the fertile land that was there and plant uh, harvestable crops. And so there was, a, even during this period of famine, there was a potential there because you had everything that they needed. Because even though there was a drought in the land, this tremendous longest river in, uh, in the world, the Nile, had lots of water that it could share in these little tributaries that were like water canals. So there was a perpetuation of food that could still be raised. And these canals are still there today. And they, and they bear Joseph's name. Well, I started to say, it's very interesting, the archaeologist, 
when they were looking at some of these, uh, some of the way the building and the aspects archaeologically wise of the treasure cities, one of the things that they noticed as they went down to the bottom of the silo, that the first layers of brick had a lot of nice straw in it. When they got to the middle layers, it had less straw and there was reeds from the from the Nile and other little, where there's other ponds and things. And by the time it got up to the third layer, there was just, it was just no, no straw in it at all. And of course, this verifies the Bible, how the, the Pharaoh, uh, through the taskmasters, made the children of Israel go out and gather their own straw. They would not furnish it anymore. And so it was very, very scarce the way they, and they, and they had to get, get just as much done. They couldn't, they couldn't lessen it. So finally they had to end up just putting the brick together without, without some of it having the straw. Well, there's advantage for having the straw. It, it has a purpose. And who would be that would know later that that top, uh, third of the silo could so much easier be removed when the day would come for them to do a real fast grab and take of the treasures. How that that was just all part of the plan of God. Just like when God said, let there be light, and there was light. It was just all part of the plan of God. And the Pharaoh and the taskmasters who were just threatening them and making their lives unbearable and putting all this work on them and all the stress, little did they know what they were doing by their evil deed to actually become a tool of blessing for a special day. For a special day for Israel. Well, back to Moses. Moses was a general, and he was a powerful, successful general. And of his army, which I'm not sure of the total count, but it was probably a half a million or more, when he went up to Ethiopia and came around that last cataract and fought with the the people there and defeated them. And Moses' name became popular all over Egypt. So popular that the new Pharaoh didn't like it. He didn't like it. Well, in history, there is a history reported in which there was like two, around 250 to 270,000 Egyptian soldiers, but they weren't Egyptians, but they were in the Egyptian army, that just one day decided to quit, decided to just quit being soldiers for Egypt. And they, they left. They suddenly were gone. Just all of a sudden, bam. <laughs> well, of course, those were all Jews. And they became part of this 600,000 600, uh, men that were armed and became the army that Moses took when he left Egypt. 600,000 men, most of them around their 20s, young. A lot of them not even married. 
Now, here's the story that we want to tell you that's different. That's very different. God had a plan. And that plan happened one day when Moses, who was still sort of second in command position, was spending a lot of time over with the Hebrews. And he saw an Egyptian sort of taking advantage and whipping down one of the Hebrews. And he went over and, well, he, he killed the guy. He killed the Egyptian. And the word spread. And the word got back to the Pharaoh. And Moses had to flee for his life. Well, he was a soldier. One of the things that he learned was geography, triangulation, mapping, compass reading. They had their own kind of compass reading. How to read the position of the sun, the moon, the stars. And he fled for his life. And obviously, the Pharaoh looked for him. But obviously, he knew a way to go that he would not be expected to go. That the Pharaoh and the soldiers sent after him to capture him did not, did not know. And he escaped and he went to the land of Meridian. Or I call it Meridian, but it's the Midians, Midians. In a way, it is a line of meridian because there was so much there. Now, there is, you know, um, many confusing things that people just don't have the story down about where Moses went and the story about what happened while he was there. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of uh, confusion and unsurety about that. But um, the story that's really, really neat is outside of confusion. You see, the real Mount Sinai is where people get into trouble, where they, where they get goofed up. Because majority of traditionalists and archaeologists have had it that the Mount Sinai, Sinai that Moses went to was the one in the Egyptian peninsula, that Mount Sinai, but it wasn't that one. The real Mount Sinai was in northwestern Saudi Arabia. And in Galatians 4.25, that's what it says. Paul writes, and he tells the people when he's giving this this allegory about the two women and the two mountains, that he speaks about Mount Sinai being in Arabia, which definitely was not Egypt. And that's very, very important to know this, because it all has to do with this exodus. 
So the real Mount Sinai is in the northwestern Saudi Arabia. And that's right there in the land of the ancient Midian. Not in the Egyptian Sinai. That's very interesting. Well, this Mount Sinai is also called Mount Horeb. And that's very, very important because Mount Horeb was where a few miles from the Midianite home when Moses was out with the with the sheep that he was by this mountain, Mount Horeb, and he saw this incredible burning bush. Well, I, I have done a very neat cataloging of the the Hebrew words. And I don't have time to go through that tonight, but it very clearly shows, in my opinion, that that was a spaceship. It was a Zeth. And this angel had come down in this spacecraft. And it wasn't just like it was just something spacecraft and not special, but it was, it was a divine mission. It was called holy ground. Moses, take off your shoes where you're going to step as holy ground. And that angel talked with Moses and told Moses, you've got to go back. All of the people that sought your life are dead. It's time to go back. Well, that was a long time he was there. 40 years. Wow. <laughs> Good thing he had such longevity and was young and was strong. Because there'd be another 40 years in the wilderness. Wow. Well, he comes back. Doesn't have to worry about that Pharaoh who would have been after him. A lot of time had gone by. He looked different, sound different. <clears throat> And he had made contact with Aaron, and Aaron was his spokesman. And they had a plan, because the angel had advised him of how to do this thing. To do what thing? To get the children of Israel out of Egypt. Which, there's no pharaoh that would really want to do something like that when they had a bunch of craftsmen and young, healthy people that could build Free labor, in other words. They didn't want to throw away that free labor. They wanted that. That was big. Most of you should know the story about all the signs and the wonders that happened. Well, it's very interesting that archaeological-wise, that they found, they found information uh, that clearly revealed, that clearly revealed um, how that um, there were plagues that happened a certain time. And they were, they were able to, um, to put this together, uh, you know, like they do scientific-wise. And uh, so now, uh, 
this plague of blood in Exodus 7, 20 through 21, the plague that went throughout the land, and some of the other terrible plagues that were all part of that, the plague of fire and hail, Exodus 9, 23, 24, they actually were able, including the thing of the plague of darkness, Exodus 10, 22, 23, to find writings, like on that plague of darkness where it was written, the land is not light. And they came up with these ancient writings that were absolutely incredible. They're called the writings of Ipuler. And it has an identification of this period and an analyst that covers most of the aspects and, uh, and topics that happened in the 13th dynasty as it ended, which was a great period of turmoil and closed the Middle Kingdom. It was precisely documented. Uh, people say, well, how come there's not more? How come there's not a whole lot more? Well, there was. It was one of the greatest libraries that ever was made on earth, the great library in Alexandria in Egypt, founded by Ptolemy I. And it had all of the relevant historical records that would have been needed to explain many, many of the things about the lineage of the pharaohs and the time accords. But that whole incredible library was burned down. And all of that was lost. Well, what can I say? God has a plan. Sometimes it's just people lose their vision because people without a vision perish. They lose it because they have not lived up to the expectancy that a vision demands to have, to have, and that's to be looked at and to be hungered after and thirsted after. And that whole incredible library burned down. That created a dependency upon the the seers, the Telethesian seers and prophets of God who could look at things that were not as though they were, who could, by looking at things present, be able to see what the past was and also what the future would be. God had a plan. God doesn't leave people out. He just takes them a different way. Sometimes he does what the scripture says in, in Psalms. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me besides the paths of righteousness. Paths, plural. 
God has a plan. God has a plan. So now we know that these treasure cities were really, really built. I mean, they were built. Well, there has been so much said, so much anti-God, so much anti-Bible, so much anti-believing about so many things. Like Jericho. Oh, they made a really, really, really big thing about that. The archaeologist. They dug into the period that the walls of Jericho were supposed to come tumbling down. They spent a lot of time there digging. And when they were through, they said there was never any marching around the city of Jericho. There was never anything that ever happened like that. We went back into the layer, the, the sediment, the dirt layer. And there was, there were no, there were no brick or stone. There were no walls around Jerusalem during that whole time. Therefore, it did not exist. Therefore, that whole thing is just a myth and not real. And if that's a myth and not real, how much more in the Bible is a myth and not real? But guess what? There were people who believed in the Word because the Word of God is so wonderful. And they believed. And it didn't matter what the archaeologist said or the scientist said because they're smart enough by the Spirit to know that these people who think they know everything and make these statements many times are just wrong and in error. Well, sure enough, what happened? <laughs> what happened? was yes, there were no walls at that time because they were in the wrong period where they were digging. The time that they actually went into that area with their soldiers and their armies was a later period. And at that time, there were walls built around Jericho. And they were able to prove that. And it's just like some of these different, you know, names. That when the book of um, names of cities and places, that when the the this story right here was written about, um, that I read to you of these store cities, these treasure cities, and the name Ramesses. Well, actually, that name didn't even exist at that time that those were built. But later, after this period ended. Ramses came in and rebuilt those cities and his name was spread everywhere. And so that was the name that he was known by and the other names that were more ancient that had been applied to it, they were just lost. They were just lost in, in the debris of time. But the fact of the matter is it didn't change the reality. But, you know, someone would come along and say, well, you know, this, this is wrong. This says Ramesses. And, well, that's the town that was understood because it was a name that everybody knew because that's what it had been changed to. 
And there are a lot of different cases, and I preached this many, many years ago, a lot of different cases in which there are cities and towns and places that are mentioned in the Bible that at the timetable, that was not the name of them, but it became the name later. But because those were names that would, people would know when, when they were being written by the scribes, they would understand the area, the place they were talking about, they used the later names that were well-known and pinned those in. But then, of course, down the road comes someone and says, oh, so this is false. This is false because, you know, this... This was not the name of that of that city. The old name was, but they don't understand. This was written for the people so that they could say, oh, yes, I know where Ramses was. I, I remember that name. It was done for the simplicity. It was to be easy reading. When they come along, they try to say that you know, we don't have any record of Jesus Christ having never lived. He, he never did live. Hey, don't you believe that? When they come along and say, we can prove that everything that happened to Jesus had already happened before. There's others that were born of a virgin. There's others that walked on water. There's others that were resurrected and raised the dead. There are several stories of that in the different religions. So they said, you know, this has been plagiarized. This has been copied. These aren't true. And what they didn't understand is that the sound of the soundtrons is into all the creation. And the intent and the, and the, the plan of God has been for these things to happen. And they're living over and over and over again in mythology because people are having these dreams and they're having these thoughts and they're writing them down just as if they really happened because it's in the soundtron. The Bible says in the 19th chapter of Psalms that this sound of God, this word of God, it goes out throughout the whole universe and there is no place not any place that this word does not penetrate, that its circuits are everywhere. All these things that Christ was going to do were already written. Written in the atoms and the molecules. All of the things that was and that was present to be and that was future to be already written. <clears throat> Praise the name of God. Well, it's exciting. So don't let anyone come along try to tell you how false something is that the Bible teaches. It's just like this thing about the Exodus. They say, oh, well, we've checked all of the possible areas where this Exodus would have taken place. And we figured there'd have to be about at least three million people. And there's no place that three million people could have found enough water, enough grass to feed their, their animals, and enough food to sustain them. Even with that miserable little amount of 
manna that they were getting. Their animals weren't living on that. And they've got all these things that they say. But they don't even know the truth. They don't even, they don't even know the story. They don't even know what happened. And they're judging. They're judging God. They're judging the Word of God. And they don't even know the truth. Well, God has raised up in this hour manifest realization. In Thessalonians, it talks about the manifest token. There's a token of realization. <clears throat> a token of being able to come into a knowledge of God and to have an insight to these things. And this clarification that is coming out so that people can be filled with this wisdom and the songs of God can sing in the hearts of the people and they can be free, free at last. Free, free at last. Blessed be the name of God by the Spirit. The Bible says when that mighty rushing wind of God, the God winds happen, out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. People are intended to become a source of divine deliverance for others, of divine healing. Energy flowing out of their innermost being from their solar plexus at that point of nerve complex where the spirit abides within the mortal being. What an exciting time. Well, the treasure cities. <laughs> of course the Pharaoh wanted the Israel people to build those treasure cities. In their history, in their knowledge, they very well knew the story of how the Egyptians, after two years, could not keep their stored food edible. And how that the revelation came to Joseph. And Joseph was able to make an incredible revelatory invention that preserved that food for seven years without refrigeration. Wow. Of course they wanted the people of Israel to be involved in the building of those treasure cities. But there's something else very, 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 very interesting. And I want to read this to you. It's just small, but it is so important. It's so important. And it, um, it was all part of this, the writings of this Ipewer. This Ipewer wrote this. And you know where it talks about when the children of Israel got ready to leave Egypt, they borrowed from all of their the neighbors, the Egyptian neighbors, and they just, you know, like people envisioned them taking all their their rings and and everything that they had. But it wasn't exactly that way. In this writing, this ancient writing, it says, the storehouse of the king was considered common property for everyone. So, there's no question that there was something probably like what we would call coupons or little coins. And people had the right to go 
to the official there at the storehouse, turn in their coins and and <clears throat> be able to, to get food for their for their household. And all of that food under the government of the Pharaoh was deemed for the purpose of the people. And it was the people's storehouse. So it wasn't like they went neighbor to neighbor. They had to write because the people wanted them to get out of there. They just says, yes, we give you the right to have our, our share. Take whatever you need from the storehouse. We can't stand any more of these plagues. We've lost our firstborn son, our firstborn daughter. We can't stand it anymore. We're afraid. We want you just to go. Wow. Excuse me. We're afraid. We want you to go. <laughs> they turned over the rights. They turned over the rights to those they turn over the rights, ladies and gentlemen, to those storehouses. They became the property of the children of Israel. There was arms in there for all the weaponry that they would need. There was incredible amounts of gold. Gold that not only came in as, as tribute money, gold that not only came in as payment during the famine time, but conquered nations where they went in and conquered them and took all their gold. There was tremendous amounts of gold. How do you think they made that calf, that golden calf? That wasn't made from just a few rings. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. What a treasure this was. Of course, the Pharaoh didn't quite understand that this is what was happening. He wasn't expecting his weapons to be taken, store of weapons. He wasn't expecting any of his gold to be taken. But the Bible teaches that God set up a plan to rob these kind of people that had done wrong. And we're going to read some of the scriptures after a bit. Wow. I find those things exciting. They're very exciting because they're so, so real. All right. Let's, uh, let's go on into the, the books of, of Exodus. Now, there's, there's so much here to cover. <clears throat> Just for your benefit, um, when that angel came down, that is uh, in the third chapter of Exodus and the eighth verse. And I really appreciate, in the words of the Bible, the emphaticness. <clears throat> And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I've come down to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians. Not just, I'm here. I just suddenly boom-bammed and I'm here. I came down. <laughs> Zithing. There's a zith thing. And I plan for them to leave here. To get out of here and go to a good land of a large land flowing with milk and honey, 
unto the place of, of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Wow. There's a scripture in Deuteronomy that says, you have dwelt in this mountain long enough. Sometimes that's such an important word to God's people who are in that habitual repetition of doing the same thing. And God speaks to a person and says, you know what, I'm leading you to a higher ground. I'm leading you to a, a greater spin of the truth, a greater spin of the circuits of God, a greater depth of knowledge, a greater revelation of the wisdom. You've been in this mountain long enough. I'm taking you to another elevation. That's so exciting. That's so very exciting. Now, in the third chapter where we're still at in Exodus, verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him there. Now, interesting, in that same chapter, God foretells him something. Chapter 3, verse 12. Well, let's start with verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto the Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto you. I have sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain, Horeb. In other words, he was told way in advance. When you leave and bring the people out of Israel, I want you to come back here to Meridian. Meridian. <laughs> Midian. I want you to come back here to Midian. I want you to come back right to this site where the Zith came down. Right to this site where Mount Sinai, which is Mount Horeb is. You are to come back here. You are to come back and show the people, here is where I met the angel. Here is where the angel came down. Wow. And of course you know that according to several places in the Bible, the children are then at some point able to get have an experience when these 20,000 angels and ziths come down and hover over the mount. Wow. What a time. What an exciting time. You're to come back to this place. Get you out of Egypt. You've been there long enough. The people have been there long enough. You've been in this mountain long enough. I'm going to take you to another place. I want you to come back to the mountain where the, the angel came down and gave you this revelation. And it was in the 14th verse that God said unto Moses, I am that I am. I am who I am. I am and I am. Yah and Yah. Wow. 
So in the 22nd verse of the third chapter of Exodus, when it said, But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment. Ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and you shall spoil the Egyptians. That was only part of the story. That was only a little teeny, teeny part of the story. You're not going to spoil the Egyptians because of a few pieces of, of jewelry. The funding went much, much deeper than that. And if it was going to do all the things that it was declared to do, it had to be right there where that those treasure city storage silos were. Those treasuries. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. So, in the 19th verse of the 4th chapter, just so we verify some of these, some of these things here, the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go return unto Moses for all the men who, all the men are dead which sought your life. We don't ever wish for people that have said things against us and that have been our enemies. We don't ever wish for any of them to die. I know I don't. And I've had plenty of people say things that are not true against me. But I would never wish for any of them to die. I never wish for any of them to be punished. I just don't have that in my heart. But Sometimes things happen. God removed these people out of the way. This Pharaoh. He said, now, take your wife and your sons, put them on the ass, and get back to Egypt. Well, he thought he had everything covered. And on the way, verse 22, Thou shalt say unto the Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. That was so significant because none of the children of Israel lost any of their firstborn. It's like the song, I will pass, I will pass over you. When they were told to put the blood on the lintel post, the angel of death passed over them. It was only the Egyptians who suffered the death of their firstborn. And he said, you know, the reason there was none of these people because Israel is my son, God's son. And he said unto him, Let my son go, that I, that he may serve me. If thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. It came to pass on the way in the end that the Lord met the son of Moses and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah, who was the wife of Moses, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at the feet of Moses and said, Surely you are a bloody husband to me. So he let them go. God let them go. And she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. It was like he could have lost his son because when you get put into these places of responsibility, 
You can't shirk not following through and doing all the revelations and the things. And just because you weren't the one that received the revelation of the circumcision, but someone by the name of Abraham was, doesn't mean because you didn't receive it that that still is not valid. Because God's people are entangled. Just like in this case here, there is an entanglement, a spiritual entanglement. Because the firstborn that's tied into this thing of Israel, tied into this thing about Pharaoh, tied into his own son, is connected in such a way that if you don't follow the plan, then the thing that was going to come on these other people could then end up coming on you if you don't follow the plan. God says, put blood on the lintel post. You better do it. You better follow the plan. Please praise the name of God. Praise the name of God. All right. We want to look at some other things. There's just so, so much to, um, you know, to, to read. Now the Lord, even when this, these plagues were happening, he separated even the cattle of Israel from the cattle of the Egyptians so that the cattle of Israel did not get the diseases and did not suffer the plagues. And we can see how deeply ingrained this plan was when we look at chapter 9, verse 10. Let's start with verse 15, I'm sorry. Verse 15 and 16. For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. He's talking to the Pharaoh. And in very deed for this cause have I raised you up to show in you my power, that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. God is saying, look, Pharaoh, I raised you up to be the Pharaoh. You were destined for this hour. I raised you up to be the Pharaoh, to do what you're doing. Even the resistance that you are offering, I raised you up to have that. It's all part of my plan so that the, the glory of God can be revealed to the whole nation of Egypt. This is all part of the incredible revelation of God. One of the things that was one of these signs happened in verse 33. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along the ground. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. And there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail, hail smote every herb of the field and break down every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. I believe these things. I just believe them. <clears throat> now besides all of that happening, we want to just see how much the plan of God is to make Pharaoh and, and Egypt pay for all of the 
free labor they were getting. In the um, 10th chapter of um, Exodus, Moses does, is, and, and, the, and we'll start with the 24th verse. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go and serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. And let your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, Thou must give also sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord God. And our cattle also shall go with us. Not only must our cattle go, <clears throat> but now you have whatever flock you do have left, whatever cattle you do have left, you've got to contribute to this sacrifice that we're going to do. See, things are being turned around. The Pharaoh was being told, you're going to have to pay for this sacrifice we're going to have. Now, this sacrifice wasn't just burning an animal and to crisp and then letting the ashes just blow away in the wind. They would cook these sacrifice, you know, bleed them and then sacrifice these, these animals. And then the Levites would eat the food, would eat the meat. And I'm sure others did too. God has a plan. The sacrifice turned out to be a way of feeding the servants of God. In the 11th chapter of Exodus, The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague, plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt, and afterwards he'll let you go. When he shall let you go, he will surely thrust you out from hence. Now, he is being explained to that when this time comes, you're going to, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to be just a easy, light thing. It, it, it's, it's, it's going to be wound up with emotions. And you're going to be thrust out of here. They're going to just say, get out of here. Get out of here now. Now I've got to talk about the plan. i got to tell you what they did. i got to tell you what they did. Back sometime, even, even before all these plagues were taking place, God had already revealed to Moses that Darby told Moses that Pharaoh's going to turn these down. He's, he's not going to let them go. But here's the thing that happened. And this is incredible. There never was three million people that were, that left with Moses to go across the Red Sea. The number was far, 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 far less than that. Why? Because there was a plan. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There was a plan. And here was a plan. God had a meeting through Moses with all the children of Israel. He said, okay, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide the groups. And there's going to be four groups of the children of Israel that are going to go with me when I leave. Plus, each of the tribes are going to supply 
young men for soldiers. And that's going to make five groups. And that's, that's how it's going to work. And the other tribes, you're going to, you're just going to walk across the line. Some of you are going to leave on boats, just like a family would be leaving to go and down and have a vacation or buy some things. And you can start doing it now. Just a few families here, a few families there. Get yourself organized, get yourself ready. Some of you will be, will be taking the caravan trails. You'll be going straight down to, to Canaan. Others of you will take the, the coast route. Others of you will take the ship route. We're going to be, we're going to be sending gold with you that we are, we've got our, the soldiers that are, are part of the Egyptian army now, but they're Jews have been put in charge of the treasure cities. We've got all the signed documents of all the people. We will have them, even more so. We're going, to, you're going, we're, we're going to be giving you gold, and we're going to give you a list of the food that you're going to, the kinds of food that you're going to buy, and you're going to meet us in a special meeting place. You're going to meet us at Petra, called Selah. And this is a place, the Bible tells us, that the wise people from all around the East would come and meet. They understood there was something divine about that place. Well, Petra, which is also called, was formerly called Selah, Petra is a Greek way of saying Selah. Petra, of course, is right there close to Midian. And Midian is where Moses lived with his family, with Jethro, his father-in-law, his wife and children, and was not far from Mount Horeb, which is has another name, Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai means the mountain that shines. Now the, the Mount Sinai in the Sinai Desert has that name, but that was just copied from the name that God gave, meaning the mountain that shines. Because just like in everything else, there's, there's counterfeits. Well, the archaeologists went over there and they looked and they could not find, no matter how far they dug, they could not find anything where there'd been any residue where any of the children would have met there. <clears throat> they could find nothing. So they said, well, children of Israel certainly didn't, didn't meet here at this Sinai. And then, you know, it, it, there's nothing here. Guess we better go over to Mount Horeb and check out that site.
Well, in the meanwhile, <coughs> lots of things are happening. So interesting, so exciting to talk about these things, to have knowledge of them. <coughs> well, here's what we're going to get into now. These these different families are, are, are going through the line. And nobody's paying much attention because the people are just moving back and forth all the time. I mean, there's people coming and going. There, there's people from India coming and coming and going. There, there there's uh, you know Arabians coming and going. There, there's just people coming and going all the time. Um, Egypt has an incredible traffic, so these migrations even are happening all the time. And these very migrations were happening a long time before before the children of Israel and, J and J Joseph were even moved into Egypt. There was this group of people, and this group of people, they started moving in there, just family at a time, start migrating there. They're called the Hyksos, the Hyksos people, H-Y-K-O-S. Now, they are part Hebrew and part Canadian. Canadian. <laughs> I'm doing good. Part Canaan. And um, it's very interesting that there was a lot of them. And, of course, uh, they spoke the same language that the Hebrews did because they were part Hebrew. So those people have been infiltrating, migrating into Egypt for years and years and years and, and, and taking up residence there and living there. And everything was okay. And there was no challenge to the Egyptian government or armies. Until one day, when close to 300,000 soldiers that used to be under the command of the Egyptian army left to go with Moses. To find the new land. Suddenly, part of their best army was gone. And suddenly, they had been hit with ten different plagues that were so incredible and so desperate and so bad that they were basically decimated. And right at this time, it is suggested in history that these hit those people decided to raise an army of their people. And without firing a shot, they took over the government and divided Upper Egypt and Lower Egypt. And they became in command of Lower Egypt. They took it over without firing a shot. Because they were, you know, Egypt was so decimated with all these things that had happened. 
You following me? It was so brilliant, this thing that Moses was doing. Sending these families off and saying, okay, you're going to meet us. We're all to meet at Mount Oreb. At Mount Horeb. We're all to meet. But we'll meet, but you'll, you'll go to, you'll meet us at Petra and, 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 and where my, my father-in-law is. He's going to be expecting you. But don't come without bringing what you're supposed to bring. And they're given lists. They're told what they're to do. What kind of, what kind of things that would be needing, needed for, um, Im, you know, improving the weaponry, the forging uh, type of stuff to be able to do blacksmith and all kinds of things that they needed to buy. <clears throat> it was a plan. Like when God said, let there be light and there was light. Like when God said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a plan. And all these children of Israel. Wow. Seven tribes. Seven tribes were there. Seven tribes went on to Canaan. They didn't go the direction with Moses and the and 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 the army. They didn't they didn't go with them. They went on down in their different directions and to different parts of Canaan. They had a mission. And they were filtered out so cleverly and with all the commotion that was going on, people were not even noticing these families uh leaving because there's such a tremendous traffic migrating in and out of Egypt all the time anyway. <clears throat> and the goodies in the treasure cities was going down because there was going to be enough food there to feed the whole nation of Israel, plus of the other specialized foods that they would buy with the gold. And they were not to use all the gold because they would need a lot of gold for the things that was to be revealed to God for the holy articles. Wow, what an exciting time. The Bible tells us in Amos 8, 11 through 12, that one day there's going to be a famine of the word. I hope that people can really appreciate the word, this manifest realization word that is coming to them over these broadcasts and in the blogs and at this time in their lives. Because there is nothing sadder when the world is hit with a famine, a literal famine or a famine of the word, a famine of the spiritual things of God and of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's got to be the most desperate time of all. A time that you can't just go before the altar and, and be able to pluck up the divine honeycombed goodies of God because there's a famine of the word. Welcome. Wow. Thank God for the book of Jeshur, chapter 50, verse 23 and on. And all the things that I'm able to share with you from that. I have no doubt in my mind 
that because of this coat of many colors and because of this revelation of the stars and the moon and the, the sun, that that was a symbolic token of revelation that Joseph was an Arturian. You know, Egypt has been through so many things. They had the time in which Alexander the Great came and conquered the nation. That lasted for a long time. Then they had the time when the Romans came in and conquered the nation. In fact, during the Roman period, the Egyptians were doing everything that they could to keep the Romans from finding the gold that they had. They had it hidden. <clears throat> and it just looked like the Romans were going to be there forever. They were such a powerful nation. You know, they were a nation that had world power for a thousand years. A thousand years. That doesn't make a person feel that's going to live 80 years or 70 years that they're going to get over anything in their lifetime. So they wondered what to do with this gold. <coughs> they didn't want it to go to the Romans. <coughs> they just didn't want them to get it. So they decided, well, there wasn't anything better than, they, than that some of them could do that were in high positions. But that when they and the, those people that were in those higher positions died, they would they would make golden mummies. They would just they would just take this gold and encase themselves in it. It hasn't been that long ago that they found the valley of the mummies, and this was people that died during this time that the Romans were in control in Egypt. And the cemetery there that was hidden underneath the sand and they just found it by a hole in the, in, in the, from a horse stepping at this spot and this hole that went down. It was a cemetery two miles wide, two miles long. They found 500 tombs and 1,500 mummies. And a good deal of those mummies were encased in gold. How desperate it can be. What a legacy of riddles. What a grapple of ancient rhythms. How tantalizing of thought. How entwined and twisted of words beyond being able to explain the tales and the stories of those people that must have suffered. But in their own way, they sort of had a last laugh. They'd be buried in the tombs underneath the feet of the Romans. The Romans have no idea of the incredible mint of gold that was down there on their bodies, of which they would never know it and never get to, to have it. It was like the last laugh. Well, I'm only telling that part of the story because it's interesting. 
and because it just it just goes along with so many things. Now those tribes that were chosen to go on into Canaan, like Gad and Dan and Zebulun, Nephtali, Issachar and Reuben, and Jeshurun. They all moved into Israel, or pardon me, they became Israel and all moved into Canaan. And this was something that was happening over uh, quite a period of time. And of course, no one in the, in the land of Goshen was telling other people about it. And if, if some Egyptian would happen to notice that a family or two were gone, they'd say, oh yeah, they're visiting their relatives in Canaan. Because, I mean, just like Joseph his father and brothers were from Canaan. So they understood that, that there was relatives in Canaan. And they think too much of it because everybody was busy with life and migrations were coming and going. Wow. Someone says, well, that Pharaoh that chased after Moses, the Bible says he died he died in the, the, Red, the Red Sea. Well, you have to be so careful when you read the Bible. Because there's so many times it'll use the word all or some specific term like that. And it, it, it's just talking about all of a kind. And when you talk about Pharaoh, you're talking about an office. The person that was the actual Pharaoh at that time did not, did not go after Moses and the children of Israel, he sent one of his top commanders to do that. Because it's recorded that later, get a hold of this. And this is recorded, and, and this is one of the ancient things that they found. And it was, it was quite a find. And I'm just looking here to see if I can find my notes on it. But it was quite a find. They found this whole uh, description of something that happened by this pharaoh who had not who had not died, but was the pharaoh at the time. See, because Ramsey too, let's say he was the pharaoh of the oppression, but but Mernitah, Mernitah was the pharaoh of the Exodus. And he did not die. They they found his body. He did not go down into the sea. They found his body. So they know he didn't die. But I'll tell you what he did do. And this is pretty incredible. Apparently, these seven tribes, a bunch of them, were very happy to have all this wealth and visiting with their relatives, and they had all this money, and and they were free from the Egyptian bondage. They had been like slaves. And uh, so evidently, they weren't quite following through with the plan to get over there and join, be ready to join, be ready to be there ahead of time even, and have everything that's supposed to 
be found. They they were sort of goofing off. After all, they were getting out of any potential threat to have to fight a war with Pharaoh's army and all the things that, of the suffering that could happen. And so they were messing around and not following the, evidently the orders. And so this Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of the Exodus, he got a huge army together and he got on the on, on, got on ships and took his huge army down the coast to Canaan. Unloaded his soldiers. And found where the people of Israel were sorted together. And slaughtered most of them. Totally defeated them. And there's a huge article and story that they have found that's the only article that has not been destroyed because so much that was destroyed in the uh, in the Library of Alexander. But this article is a true historical article that mentions Israel because almost no other articles even acknowledge that Israel existed. But it was the whole story of their defeat and what happened to them. When they were defeated by the Pharaoh, while they were down in Canaan. And of course, the Pharaoh thought that he, because he didn't, you know, he, he thought that he totally wiped out all of the, the people. He didn't know what happened to, to Moses, but he probably figured he'd been, they probably killed him. But of course, Pharaoh did not know that there was five divisions of armed men. The Bible says that that the children of Israel went out of e out of Egypt harnessed. And that's Exodus thirteen eighteen. And if you look up the word harnessed, that's Hebrew number twenty five seventy one in the Strong's dictionary of the Hebrew Concordance. And what that means is that they were armed, that these men were armed. Where did they get all this armory at? Well, they got it from the <laughs> the treasure cities. And there'd be someone say, oh, no, they only put corn in there, and that's all. That's all that you think. That's because you shouldn't even be thinking, because you are so uninformed to even make a mention of something like that to, to somebody that knows what he's talking about. These people got their weapons, and history records that those kind of cities did, did have all this, all this kind of weaponry and all kinds of things stored there. That was captive stuff that the, the, the nation of Egypt, uh, was able to capture from other, other nations and from some of the wars that they had. So, there was a division then between those seven tribes that went on down into Canaan. But Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Levi plus soldiers that were contributed from all of the different tribes 
That made one, two, three, four, five, because the word harnessed, a harnessed also has in it the meaning of the word, the fifth rib, which means these five divisions. And so these five divisions that the Bible tells about that when they left, those are the five. And there's Bible for all of that. Oh, I wish I had the time to really go into all the Bible. I hope to go into some of it. That actually protects and tells these things. The scriptures have to actually show Judah being separated from the other tribes. With the exception that it had with it Benjamin, Ephraim, and, and Levi. And then these soldiers. Now, that was the thing they did when they went over into Canaan, even. When they went into Canaan, even some of the tribes that had had fought and found the land that they had been promised to them by the Urim and Thummim, the one thing they still had to do was contribute soldiers to go on over with the other tribes until all of the land that was supposed to be conquered was conquered. And so this thing of these soldiers being contributed from all of the different um, tribes was a thing that was set in and was part of the plan of God. Let there be light and there was light. And so these young soldiers were from all those different tribes. And so maybe at the most, because there was a lot of the children, a lot of the, the women that did not go with Moses. Not all of the women and children went with Moses, in other words. And I'm going to say that less than a million people were with Moses when he went across over to Petra to Mount Horeb. Now, when Pharaoh went and fought and defeated the Israelites, and I guess a lot of the men that he captured, he bragged about it. He destroyed their manhood. Didn't totally kill them, but destroyed their manhood. You know what I'm talking about. Because one of the things that he was really angry about, if you remember this in the Bible, was one of the things that Pharaoh said, uh, I want you Egyptian women that as soon as these, these babies are born from the, from the Israelite mothers, I want you to kill those babies. And he, they said, well, we don't get a chance. The, uh, the Hebrew mothers are so strong that they don't, they don't have babies like, like, like we Egyptians do. They have their babies standing up. And the babies come right on out, and, and, and they have a hold of them, and they're lively. And we don't have a chance to, uh, to kill those babies. And then that's when he said, okay. That's when he made the decree to, to start killing these babes in, in which Moses was involved. And they went and hid Moses for four months, and then finally put him out in this tarred basket with a cover. Uh, and he was found by, uh, you know, the, the wife of one of the Pharaoh. And that's not all into a time sequence right there, but it's just, throwing in the whole story, bits and parts and pieces. And so we have this harness group, five groups, Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Levi, and these soldiers that were a representative of all the tribes. And 
families and and children. But less than a million people, my opinion. Wow. Well, there was a tremendous effect that happened when the Pharaoh went down and killed all those Israelites. It weakened the overall potential of the the armed uh, capability. So the Bible tells us in Joshua 15, verse 63, that Judah did not drive out the, Ju- the Jubasites from Jerusalem. The same is recorded of Benjamin in Judges 1, 29. So we see that there were failures that as a result of other people not following through with the word of God, not, not following through with the, with the plan, that it, it had problems. And it, and it caused problems to, 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 to the people of God. It's so sad. It's so sad when things like that happen and people don't, they don't understand what a masterful plan has been given. They just get caught up with, you know, what they're doing, what they want to do. So, how did this exodus take place? Where, the when, the why, the what? Well, when they left Gossen, they took they headed toward the Gulf of Suez, and they stayed on the inside of the Gulf of Suez, which is the side that Edom, Moab, Ammon, Petra, Jericho, Canaan is on, and it was a pretty smart plan because. The army of the of the Pharaoh was not going to be coming across the Gulf of Suez. They would have to come around the tip of it, round in the desert there, and then come behind the army just as the same direction that that um, Moses had taken the army. Now we have a scripture that is pretty evident that this is the case, because they had Pharaoh had sent out spies. And these spies had gone to check and sort of catch up with from afar and, and, and to see the path. And they checked the, you know, the hoof and camel prints and, and, uh, checked with some of the people that were passing that lived in areas and, and get their reports. So they, they pretty well were able then to see the direction that Moses was going. Well, the way he was going along this Gulf of Suez, when you took that all the way down to the end, you hit the Red Sea. But if you turn before you got all the way to the Red Sea, you would be at the Straits of Tyran. And at the Straits of Tyran, there was a very narrow spot where the Gulf of Aqaba went into the Red Sea. And right at that choked spot, which was split between the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aqaba. Both of the waters were there. <coughs> That's where they went across. 
Now, I am sure that although Moses was a believer in God, that he was a military strategist. And I'm sure that that he covered himself in every plan. And I'm sure that he had sent a contact to Jeshro. Jeshro and they had sent informations out to the, the Midianites. And they knew that Moses was going to come across at the Strait of Tyran, right there at the Gulf of Aqaba and the Red Sea. And they were probably told to make these huge type of floating platforms that they could use to transport their animals and people across the Gulf. Someone says, well, that had been, been doubt. No, that wouldn't have been doubt. That would have just been military strategy. A lot of these things that was going to happen with the children of Israel and Moses, a lot of them didn't even know it till the right till the last minute. It seemed that it, they didn't have any idea how they were going to get across that, except with this strategy plan of having these uh, floating uh, platforms made to go across, because it wasn't until the children of Israel, some of the children of Israel, spotted the army of of the Egyptians coming up from behind. Because, see, in the Bible it says that when Pharaoh found out where they were going from the spies, he says, oh, we've got them. They've got themselves entangled. Because what he knew was by heading that direction, unless they had a ship there meeting them at the Red Sea, and he planned that he probably could catch them before they could ever board it, that they were they were caught in a, tr- in, in, in a tangle. They could not get away because all they could do is go around where the Straits of, of Tyran were and go on on up uh, toward uh, Geber. Now, Geber wasn't even in existence at that time when, when uh, the exodus was made. But later, at the tip of the Gulf of Aquaba, uh, Geber uh, came into, into, into being a city there. He would know this. He said, there's, there's no way out. They cannot get, they're surrounded by waters. They're trapped. We've got them. But what they didn't count on was God. And when they got really, really close, the angel of God that had been going before them with this beautiful pillar of light moved from being in front of them and leading them, moved to the back be, uh, of, of all of Israel. So it was between Israel and the coming army of the Pharaoh. This Pharaoh was not the top Pharaoh, but he was the coordinate Pharaoh. And this light was of the nature of this pillar that it shone on the side where the Israelites were, and they had light. But on the opposite side of it, going backwards, it, it, it put out darkness. So the children of Israel, not knowing that the, that, pardon me, the children of, of, or the army of Pharaoh, not knowing that the children of Israel had light and they could see what they were doing, they thought, well, they're not going to be going anywhere in this darkness. They're not going to be doing anything in this darkness. So they stopped and halted and waited for the, the darkness to pass. 
In the meanwhile, the the Israelites were just screaming and crying, "My God, my God, this is it! Why did you? Wh- why weren't there graves that would have been good enough for us to have been buried in Egypt? Why must we come out here in, into this vast wilderness and and die out here and be buried out here? Probably not even get a burial." And that was what was going on. And then God went to, Mo, to uh, pardon me, Moses went to God and said, my God, help us out. What What is the deal? And that's when God said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up the Red Sea. So he really didn't even know that that's what was going to happen. So he had already made a strategic plan to get across. He wasn't just a dumbhead, just going in there saying, well, got you to the water, and maybe we could all swim across it somehow on the animals and not all die. He had a plan. It was a brilliant military plan. But it wasn't going to happen fast enough. It was too late. The army of the Pharaoh was already there. They could make much faster speed. They were all soldiers. And they were not bogged down with all of the goods that were being carried. I mean, it was an incredible amount of goods that were being carried by Moses and his soldiers and and people had packbacks on them. Plus the animals had pack, back, pack bags. And they had used all kinds of, of means of conveyance. I'm sure even chariots were put into service if they were available. Wow. But now there is something interesting here. Because the Bible says that God calls an eastern wind, God calls this wind to blow. And that is what divided the waters and held the waters off and dried out the land so Israel could get across. Well, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about that. And something's just not clicking in my brain. And I say, well, wait a minute now. If there's this strong wind blowing, wind that is almost hurricane level and it's blowing so hard that it's holding the water still on both sides so that the waters cannot move and it's dried out the land in between there wouldn't be anybody be able to get through there in that wind that wind would be so powerful that it'd blow you right into a hole in the mud You just wouldn't be able to do that. So there's something different. This was a holy wind. That angel that had been going in that pillar of light, that pillar of light was coming out of one of the this. Well, we have taught in the manifest revelation that the Artursians understand, as well as the seraphims and the cherubims, that everything that there is, everything every energy, every substance, atoms and molecules, although they are not supposed to be various of the nature that they can be magnetized, there is a potential, if you understand it, from a high degree of high-minded revelation, that everything is subject to becoming magnetizable. And what they did is they sent out this energy, which the Bible called a wind. 
but it wasn't like a wind blowing like a hurricane. And it magnetized and crystallized that, that water and was held in place by a magnetism. Just like particles are held together in these many mile long atomic accelerators that they're using. And they were just held there while the children of Israel went on across. And they got to the other side and the angel said, that's it. And he turned off the electromagnetic machine and the waters came back together. But that was just as the army was in the middle of the Gulf of Aquaba and the Red Sea crossing there at the Tyran Straits. And the water came crushing down on them. It would be like a like a terrible thing. I imagine that water was up it might have been up in the up in the air stories high. And that was the end of those fellows. And then Moses was able with his group without any of them being killed. And I suppose that they later came back and got those big log planks because all that kind of stuff was valuable. And they brought them back to their their camping places. Now they say that they checked out this other mountain, Mount Horrid, around it to see if there'd been any camping and find anything archaeologically to prove that those huge numbers of people were there. Well, they didn't park there. They went on down to Petra and and uh, to where the, um, the Midianites were. And that's where they stayed. And when something incredible was happening, they would bring the 70 or 80 elders out and bring them over to see what was happening and then re report that. And as far as them losing a shoe or something like that, the Bible says that for 40 years, their clothing and their shoes never aged. So they weren't throwing that kind of stuff into the garbage. They were going to be still wearing them. I mean, that, that was just at the beginning of the 40-year time. And those shoes and those clothing were going to last, you know, for 39 to 39 and a half or whatever, or almost 40 years. That was such a beautiful place it was chosen to go. He went back to where the angel had appeared to him. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Wow. So now we begin to see how that there was a plan. God said, let there be light, and there was light. <clears throat> God said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God had a plan. God said, let's make man in our plan. And that plan had a blueprint. That blueprint was like an image of the plan. Someone said, oh, we're in the image of God. We're in the image of God. God have mercy on all of us, all the mortals and all the humans on this planet. God have mercy. God have mercy on everything. <clears throat> that image was a plan, was a blueprint.
Well, there is an interpretation that I found that was interesting in one of the ancient writings of Psalms 136, where it talks about the Pharaoh and all of the army, soldiers dying in the flood once that was released. And it said, no, that that is not true, that they did not all die. It said the way that that really should be interpreted is that when this flood let loose, it shook off Pharaoh and his host at the Red Sea. It shook them off. It stopped them dead. So I guess there was people that did get killed, but not all of them, not all the soldiers. They went back and joined the Pharaoh and they got on that ship. They went at some point, I don't know how much later it was, but after they got their messed up nation into some control, they went after Israel. Israel should have already been across. They should have done their mission and gotten out across, but someone decided to be leader and say, oh, come on, let's we, we've we've uh, been through a lot. Let's let's take our time. You know, the you know Moses. He he'll he'll be all right. Those he's got the army. He's got the army. What else does he need? Let's let's take our time. How shocked they were when the Pharaoh showed up there in Canaan and tracked them down and slaughtered them and made eunuchs out of the men. How shocked they were. Whoa. Utterly incredible. Absolutely utterly incredible. Well, there is so much. And I cannot hardly believe the time as I'm seeing it because I I haven't begun to to but this thing about the scripture for being harnessed, I told you that was Exodus thirteen and that was verse seventeen through eighteen. And there's so many incredibly neat scriptures I wanted to give to you. Like, um, let's see here. Got to give you a few um, of these. Um, it's just so neat. Here's a scripture really neat. In uh, Deuteronomy 29. It says... Um, for we know how we have dwelt in the land of Egypt and how we came through the nations which we passed by. There's a scripture showing how that these people came through the nations and into Canaan. Into Canaan. Because I'll tell you, there weren't a lot of nations over there where, where Moses took his people. He didn't pass through a lot of nations. So this had to be the people that went directly into Canaan and migrated there. There's a scripture for it right there. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Praise the name of God. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. Well, in the book of the of Deuteronomy 33, 
Verse 2. And the Lord came from Sinai and rose up from here unto them. He shined from the Mount Paran. And he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand, which went out a fiery law for them. And he loved the people. <clears throat> In the seventh verse of the thirty-third chapter of Deuteronomy, and this is the blessing of Judah. This is when the children of Israel were being blessed because there was a message in there, prophetic message from Moses. Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah and bring him unto his people. The reason it would say bring him unto his people is because here was a prophecy of Judah being separated. And this is when Moses was getting ready to die. And he realized that by doing this plan the way they did, it separated Mo the children of Israel um, and, and, the, and the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, you know, and these, these different children of God. And there's a scripture right there to support that. Chapter 33 and Deuteronomy, verse 7. And then even further, here's another really incredible scripture. Verse 30, chapter 33, verse 18. Rejoice, Zebulun, in thy going out, and Issachar in thy tents. They shall call the people into the mountains. There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness. For they shall suck the abundance of the seas and of treasures hid in the sand. This was a prophecy because Zebulun and Issachar were the ones that were chosen to be over getting out these goods from the treasure city. And this was a prophecy that described in the blessing what they had done to find the secrets in the sand. This was part of the treasure cities, part of the prophecy of the word of God. What an incredible thing. What an awesome thing that the Word of God is. How absolutely incredible. So, as we sort of begin to bring this to an end here, we're getting the picture of this Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, of the migration of the different routes, the camel routes, the caravans, this being a place historically where wise persons had met. It's pretty awesome. And how that this exodus was taken through other nations, as I showed you in Deuteronomy 29, 15 through 16. There's a scripture talking about that, those two city cities of the that were on the delta of the Nile. <clears throat> which were the treasure cities. And it says in this ancient translation, and they set over it princes of tribute so as to inflict it with their burdens. It's talking about what the Egyptians did to the Israelites. And it built, and they built store cities for the Pharaoh. These store cities are also showing that one of them, they were like tabernacles. So there was so much. In Wesley's notes, he says that the 
there was things stored in those cities that were to be kept there for the kings, which included money, money that was even taken in to pay for the corn from these different uh, uh, nations and people. There was tremendous amounts of money. Well, guess who got away with all of that? And you you can look this this up. Second uh, Chronicles eleven, one through twelve through sixteen, uh, eleven one and twelve through sixteen. Uh, you know, these aren't people with two hearts. These are people with one call and one love for life to follow the 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 rules of God, and they became nobles in following and obeying the word of God, and they they learned the sacred geometry of triangulations and they understood what to do with this military store and how to how to get it moved from where they were on that long journey it was an incredible thing all tradition says that all the tribes of Israel departed from Egypt at the same time and entered Canaan by the way of the fords of the Jordan but sorry all Tradition happens to be wrong. And I've given you scriptures. And there's some interesting scriptures I don't have the time to look up right now. And I wish I had the time to, you know. But the Bible, one of the scriptures says that Egypt will be will, will become a ransom for Israel. Well, a ransom for Israel, Isaiah 43.3, ransom means something such as money paid for the release of a captured person or persons. That all went along with the money that they had to pay from the treasure cities. And there's another scripture in Isaiah 19, 11 through 12. And Isaiah 10, 12 through 14, if you get a chance to read some of those scriptures, you'll find it powerful and interesting. Super absolutely fantastic. So we stop there because we're at the end of this teaching. And the real Mount Sinai is in the northwestern Saudi Arabia, the land of the ancient Midian, not in Egypt Sinai. So says Galatians 4.25. If they had gone any other way with the whole group, with the army, there are there were fortresses and army outposts all through the way of, of, of going into Canaan. But when these families went independently, and like they were just on a visit, they just passed right through those fortresses and army outposts without any problems. And that's the real exodus that Moses and the children of Israel took. Eventually, those that survived the slaughter of the Pharaoh on Israel that was in Canaan, those people went and joined Moses and brought to Moses what they could and what they could, in, what the Pharaoh didn't get back. So there's much more to the story. But that's all the time that we have for right now. We have to do Gentile. May this word live in you. May this word give you a peace, 
of how powerful the Word of God is. The Word of God is wonderful. We used to sing a song. In fact, we're going to get this song put together and and uh, get it to where we can uh, do a recording of it. The Word of God is so wonderful. 